Why choose a Sleep Number Smart Bed? Because no two people sleep the same. Only the Sleep Number Smart Bed lets you each choose your individual firmness and comfort your Sleep Number setting. The Climate 360 Smart Bed is so smart, it actively cools or warms up to 13 degrees on either side for your ideal sleep temperature. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number Special Edition Smart Bed, plus free home delivery when you add an adjustable base. Ends Monday. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. To find a store near you, visit sleepnumber.com. and welcome to the Parentologist Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Kim. The Parentologist Podcast is a show about everything parenting with a therapeutic twist. I have a doctor in psychology and am a licensed marriage and family therapist, a registered play therapist, university professor, writer, and mom of two. Each episode of the Parentologist Podcast focuses on a variety of topics related to parenting, family, children, and mental health. I'm glad you're here. On today's episode, I have Amber Mamian, who is a family travel expert, founder of Global Munchkins, and ambassador for Oprah Daily. She resides in Southern California with her husband and six children, both through birth and adoption. With a passion for traveling the world and inspiring other families to do the same, she has put her words into action through publications such as Lonely Planet, Today Show Parenting, Oprah Magazine, Huffington Post, and many, many more. Amber, thank you so much for being here today. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to, to chat with you today. Yeah, I just, I, I wanted you to come on the show because I've just always been very inspired by you and just your family and everything you do and just wanted to dig in a little deeper and um, get to know you a little better and have the audience get to know you a little bit better as well. So um, we'll go ahead and get started. And I hope <laughs> this first, this first question doesn't throw you off too much, but obviously I do a lot of family therapy and I've seen many family dynamics over the years in different ways. And I know no family's perfect, but honestly, if I ever had to choose a family to live with or parents to have, it would be you <laughs> and, your, and your family. I just always watch your, your family. Um, and I'm just so inspired by, you know, just the thoughtfulness and kindness and love towards each other that I see, um, you know, just, you know, having teenagers in the home and having them want to spend so much time together. And it's just very, very inspiring. So if you have any parenting secrets um, or tips, I would love to know that. How do you keep your family so intact? Oh, man, I think that's a it's a heavy question. Um, and thank you so much. Like, what a compliment. Like, wow, I can't wait to tell the kids around the dinner table tonight. <laughs> um, but I think as far as parenting um, goes, I think that some of the basics are some of the best stuff. Um, you know, clear boundaries, open conversations, and just like unconditional love and support um, is like always there, I think, here in this house. And I think that 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 those like building blocks are really important. I do think we've been through a lot together um, between Mike's mom um, passed away from Lou Gehrig's disease when my oldest two were babies. They were like uh, four and, and one or three and one or something. Um, so yes. having something like that happen, I think you realize really quickly how how fast time goes and how nothing's guaranteed. And so I think we started living with this idea that like family is going to be number one in this house always. Um, and so we really prioritize our time with our kids and like, I work really hard because I'm kind of a perfectionist, <laughs> but I work really hard in trying to just find beauty in all the mess, you know, like in all the chaos. And so right. I think you see that when you see kind of what's going on, because the dynamics is kind of funny. My husband is very, um, 
playful and spontaneous. And he's um, like a big kid himself. He comes up with tons of games and, and we definitely prioritize fun. Um, and then you have me who's, you know, organized type A. And so there's this like balance of this like yin and yang, I think that uh, right. kind of just works well. Yes. Well, it does work well. I mean, like I said, I, I've i been, you know, friends with you for many years and have, <laughs> you know, followed your journey, um, you know, from through many years. And of course, I know at social media, we, typically we share our highlights and the good times and like you said, the fun times and things like that. But I know you've also been very authentic and sincere in sharing, you know, things that aren't so pretty either. And I think, you know, people appreciate that. So, but let me ask you this. You know, you parent children of so many different life stages. You just had your oldest son go off to college this year. And within two weeks or maybe a week of him leaving for college, you gave birth to another son. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) A bunch of kids in between. So what is it like to parent children of so many different life stages? It's uh, pretty chaotic by being like totally (laughs) upfront. I mean, so with six kids, I mean, just lay that out there. It's definitely not a walk in the park. Um, but I would say that it's absolutely amazing because as you become a parent, as you go through these different stages with um, different kids, because they're all different, A, like the way we parent Camden, my oldest is totally different than, you know, the next oldest who is totally different than the next, you know, they're all different. Um, So that's one is like what you can't get stuck in thinking like this method that worked for one kid is going to work for the next. But there is something about um, going through a stage and knowing that it's just a moment in time that makes it so much easier to do now. Like I've I've gone through the whole gamut, right? Like we've already got one off to college. So he's like a full adult that I talk to. And so um, it's neat because you're able to get these like insights from him on things he remembers through childhood or, you know, things that really meant a lot that maybe you would not realize you did that were important. Um, You know, yeah, I just think it's, you have the experience. So it allows you to sit back, relax and enjoy kind of like the younger kids a little bit um, mm. more than I probably did initially. So like if you weren't going to have a bunch of kids and you weren't going to have a big age spread, I would just say, just focus on knowing it's a moment in time, whatever stage, teething, potty training, you know, some of the tantruming. Right. <laughs> years. It's all moments in time. And they're all like, as long as you have those basics in your family of like, you're going to be there to support them. And you're going to you know, always try your best as a parent. I don't think you have to worry as much as I always have. Right. Yeah. Worrying as a parent, I feel like it's one of the hardest things I, I know I do on a regular basis. It's hard not to worry, you know, that you're raising them the right way, that they're going to make good choices, you know, as they grow older. Um, of course, worrying that they're going to get hurt or sick or, you know, those types of things. Right. But but like you said, I feel like I, I personally second guess myself a lot, even though I'm deemed a parenting expert by some people, you know, course, I, yeah. I still second guess myself all the time of, you know, am I doing this right? Am, are they turning out to be the human being that I, that I hope they'll be, or that they're, I know they're capable of, um, you know, and even just like you said, parenting different children, in the same household. I mean, my daughter is completely different than my son and the things that worked with her do not work with him. And so I have to almost come up with new ways through each child. (laughs) Have you found that same experience? I mean, like you said, each one's a little bit different, but is there, is there any type of parenting that you do with them that, that stays the same? Um, as far as, you know, your values, I guess I'll go a little deep, you know, with your values, is there certain values that you teach all your kids the same way? Yeah. I mean, there's things that like we've noticed that really help. Um, Our values in our family are like kindness, respect. We want to be, you know, quick to apologize, um, 
and then like honesty. Those are some of the ones that are big for us. But we've noticed that um, one, having open conversations and not getting them in trouble when they fib or lie, which is hard yeah. as a parent because like, you know, the way we prompt them, like, but honesty was something that we really wanted to value. So we really try when they tell the truth to listen and to find ways to talk about stuff without getting them in trouble so that we just have that open, um, that, that openness between us. Cause I feel like that's really important. We've also noticed that like clear boundaries, like from the time they are little to like a college student, them knowing expectations um, from both me and my husband, like a lot happens like where if we're in a really good place and, you know, all families, we will do really well. And then we kind of like realize we're off. Um, if you know what I mean, like all of a sudden you're like, wait, things aren't like jamming. But when we're doing everything right, it's me and my husband talking together, coming up and then like with whatever the plan's going to be and then explaining to the kids the expectations before we get started on anything. Um, right. You know what I mean? That might be all of a sudden we've got phones in the house and, you know, or maybe you already have phones in the house, but you notice that it's not working out the way you want it. Instead of like just talking to one kid, you know, about it or getting upset about it, we really try to like stop, pause, meet together to talk about what we're going to do um, and then kind of introduce that to the kids. And when it's right. that sort of a flow, um, it seems to do really well in the house because it's like they can't like do that triangulation where they like, use mom because dad they think is not going to say yes or you know that type of stuff yep. yeah yep. it and seems it, like it happens it, a lot. in our yeah and in our house if they know mom and dad agreed that xyz and then we stick to it that's the other thing i think consistency they mm -hmm. know that if we say something that we're going to be consistent about it and then like picking and choosing like which battle are you going to fight you know what i mean you can't fight them all you're not going to win on every level like you know true some things you just have to learn to let go which is hard as a parent Oh, very hard. But you you hit some golden nuggets right there, honestly. I mean, consistency, following through are big ones. I know I t tend right. to preach about. And also being on the same page. I think it does start with the parents or caregivers, whoever the, those people are in the home. And then, like you said, being on the same page first before just making maybe an impulse decision in the moment because your child came home from school and something happened. And let's say your spouse or partner's not home and you know you go through with it. And Anyway, it's just, you know, like you said, pausing, taking that moment to have a discussion with your partner and then, you know, relaying it to the to the children. I think knowing behavior expectations up front does set children up for better success, you know, to behave in the way that they're supposed to or to instill the values that are instilled in them, you know, as they're going out in the world and making their decisions um, versus you trying to play catch up and being reactive. Um, instead, you're being right. proactive, but, it, you know, instead of being reactive to a problem that's already happened and then trying to backpedal a little bit, you know? A hundred percent. No, that's exactly right. And I think the other thing is um, trying to always keep the end goal in mind. You know what I mean? Like I know that a lot of times you get hit with stuff, especially as they get older and you're in these teen years where they come home and like you said, like something has happened. Um, and I, we really try hard instead of just like taking away the phone and taking away the Xbox or like, it's really easy to just take things away from you know a teenager, right. let's say. But we really try to think of like the end goal of like, okay, well, in the end, we want our kids to be really close to us. We want to be having these open conversations. Like we have to keep that in mind. And so we always like tell ourselves when we're like, faced with something bigger, like end result, end result, what do we want? What's the end goal? And we try yeah. to come up with like consequences that are fair and that like make sense for like what happened and that overall support like our end goal with our kids um, right. versus just blindly like taking things away, which is I feel like 
or yelling, um, which are things I feel like I grew up with. Mm-hmm. I don't sure. know. And it's kind of a Band-Aid, you know, to some extent. If you just, like I said, kind of impulsively maybe uh, take something away, it it might solve something in the moment like a Band-Aid would. But then Mm -hmm. once you take that Band-Aid off, you know, the cut may be deeper than you think. And you may have a lot of other things you need to do, you know, that's under the Band-Aid that you need to take care of before just kind of wiping it clean. So um, so I I like that a lot. You know, and, and, and speaking of that. You know, you you have I feel like a tough job. You have multiple teenagers in your home. <laughs> so, yeah. And maybe a lot of listeners can relate to that. And you have, you know, a, a school age child. You have an infant. You have one in college. So you you really do have a spread. Uh, and, and I'm sure parenting at different ages is is different. You know, the way you parent your school age daughter is going to be different than how you parent your teenage daughter and, 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 and you know, and, and your sons, of course, too. So. Parenting teens. Let's talk about that for a minute, because I specialize more with younger children. I I have worked with mm-hmm. a lot of teens. I don't have teens myself yet. My kids are mm-hmm. still little. Um, and like I said, even though I've worked with many teens in the past, but what is your maybe advice for other parents? You know, with teens and in how to parent them, how to keep those communication lines open and have those open conversations. Because a lot of times you hear, "My my teenager won't talk to me." You know, mm-hmm. they got to a certain point and they have a you know attitude and they don't want to talk to me, or it's hard to get through to them. What are some of your tips for that? The one thing I don't remember where I read it or heard it, but um, we as parents forget that we need to learn to listen. And I think we're mm-hmm. telling little ones so much when they're young, like we're the teller. And right. I feel like once they hit middle school, we have to really hone in on what it means to be an attentive listener. Because I feel like kids give us at teenage years, they start giving us these moments where they'll come home and want to talk. But sometimes it has like, we have no interest in really what it is. If, if I'm being honest, like I might've been about some, you know, Marvel, let's say. <laughs> my <laughs> right. son could talk my head off about Marvel. But like, to understand that it's my job to be fully present, phone down, like really trying to listen and understand whatever it is they're excited about. I've noticed that that's like a huge thing mm. because if you if you are not, if you are busy, because a lot of us maybe were able to stay home when they're younger and now we're back at work when they're older, you know, there's different family dynamics like that. And I feel like we forget that they really need us to be there and be present and be listening. And when they haven't gotten that for a while, they'll start to clam up and like go away. Um, Mm. I've noticed that. And I noticed that if you can find an activity you can do, especially one-on-one with a kid, it doesn't have to be for long. Like Ella loves to bake and she loves books. So I know that I can always like either bake something with her or we can head to Barnes and Noble and she'll be a happy camper. And that one-on-one time gives us the ability to like kind of catch up, especially in a big family. Um, And she'll say things that she wouldn't say necessarily in front of her dad or in front of her brothers or, you know, like it's just, I guess, make time and make opportunities for them to open up, Um, you know, whether it's going for a walk, playing catch, like just tossing a ball, anything like that, I feel like, and finding something that you both like, like finding an activity that you don't despise and that they like, you know, that's not always easy, but when you can find it and then find that thing for each kid, it's like, that's the gold right there. 
Yes. Yeah. Oh, you, you really hit it on the nail. Seriously, like that's just such <laughs> such great advice. Um, and I do. I always advocate for parents to um, have one-on-one time with each child, even if, even if it's the only child, you know, having time away from, let's say, the other caregiver or your spouse or whoever it is that's at home, you know, each parent taking that one child out on a date or, you know, like you said, going to Barnes & Noble or, you know, something simple, taking them to the park or whatever it is, um, to spend one-on-one time with each parent, I think is very, very important important. So I love that you, you know, also implement that in your home and and feel the same way. And I feel like a lot of parents I've talked to with teens as well will say things like, well, my teen doesn't need me as much anymore because they're old enough to do their own thing, or I'm trying to give them autonomy. I'm trying to give them independence. So it's almost like, you know, when our kids are young, we feel like we have to constantly help them and they need us a lot more. We take them to school, we pack their lunch, we do all these things. And then once our child starts becoming autonomous and independent, it's almost like parents take a step back instead of moving in, like you said. You know, they kind of say, oh, my my teen's old enough to handle on their own, so I'm just going to, you know, let them do this, this, and this, thinking they're actually helping their child, you know, get some of that independence and autonomy. But at the same time, they may be letting go of some of those opportunities that you're talking about to move in closer versus pulling back. So 100%. And I can tell you, I mean, from experience, at least all of my kids which are very different, different kids, different personalities, they all need me so much, I would say almost more than when they were younger. Wow. You know? That's beautiful. I love that. And it's, it, I think it can be such a beautiful stage. And like you said, a stage where they're coming into their own and you're able to reflect on life and, you know, different things. And um, I, I think it's a beautiful stage where you can interact with them more than you can with, let's say, a toddler who, you know, isn't quite there cognitively to have those deep conversations. So it's, it's right. kind of fun to look forward to. So but speaking of that, you're you've kind of become famous this year. I feel like for your chore challenges. <laughs> so, yeah. um, you have these amazing reels on Instagram and TikTok um, for your chore challenges and challenges. And I know all your kids participate except for obviously your infant. Um, but right. you know, especially you know for your teens to do chores. So. Um, I know chores is obviously a priority in a lot of homes, you know, um, and you make it where it's it's fun, it's playful. So as a play therapist, I love that. I love that you're utilizing play and things like games um, to do something for kids to like. So for instance, my my kids, you know, are, are little, like I said, and the other, I don't know, a couple of a month or so ago, they didn't want to clean up the playroom. And so I thought quickly, what am I going to do? And I wanted to make it fun for them. So they actually wanted to do it. So I told them that we were going to do some type of like freeze dance, but it was freeze, freeze cleanup. Oh, I love it. So I played a song and they, they had to clean up while the song was playing. And then of course, when the song stopped, they had to freeze and, you know, do a pose or something fun. The, the playroom got cleaned up in about 30 seconds. I'm not kidding. We didn't even need the entire song. It was like a, a JoJo song that was like three and a some minutes. I think right. we needed two minutes of that song and the playroom was completely cleaned up. And I thought, gosh, why didn't I think of this before? <laughs> right. So I feel like you do the same thing with your chore challenges. So um, is it a family effort? Who comes? I know you said your, your husband's, you know, very fun and playful. And I feel like, um, you know, you mentioned that he comes up with some, but is it a family effort of who comes up with these chore challenges, it, you know, and whatnot, or who comes up with those ideas? As far as who comes up with them, it is mainly my husband. It was like his idea to begin with. Um, but now that it's gotten started and got where it's going, um, the kids, they'll find challenges on TikTok or they'll find stuff on Instagram and they'll send it to my husband. Um, people that follow us on Instagram or TikTok will like send us challenges through there because we record them and share them. Right. Um, 
And it's been really fun because then we see other families do the same thing. But you're right. It's made this thing. Like I had to have chores. Like a house is sick. We have four dogs too. Like there's no way that mom can do this on her own. So like I had to have chores happening. And so it's been such a fun way for the kids to get involved and for the chores to actually get done. So it's worked out well. Now, how's it inspired your children to do more chores? Like, are, are they looking forward to doing chores more because of these challenges, you think? I don't know if they look forward to them more, but <laughs> they're like, wait, like before it was like, they did not want to do chores. Like it was like constant nagging, which I hate nagging. Like nobody wants to be a nag. I'm like, get this done. Um, and so this has made it a really fun way because like, they're always looking forward to the challenge because they, they can win no chores also. Um, or double chores. And and I think because there's that like competitive advantage there, they're always looking forward to that. So for some reason, I guess chores are just more top of mind. So they just happen, um, which wasn't how it was in the past. So it's working. Yeah, that's good. And I love it. You're inspiring other families too. I've seen, you know, you post other families doing it. And uh, when my my kids are old enough to do some chores, but I think when they're old enough to do even more and take more responsibility, I'm going to go back and look at some of those, (laughs) some of those games and and do them myself because they do look fun. I I love how the whole family's involved. And I think that's the thing too, is I think sometimes, like you said, children are usually told what to do. Parents tell their kids what to do. And and the parents aren't really involved, but I've seen you and your husband actually get involved in some of the the games and whatnot. And I feel like when the parents are getting involved, I mean, they're not at the same level, obviously, because they're the parent right. and there's the child. But to show that camaraderie, to show that, you know, that you're going to do it as well, I think really helps them buy into it, too, versus that you just saying, OK, I'm going to watch you and you're going to do it and I'm just going to tell you what to do, you know? Oh, my gosh. You just hit like that's actually one of the best parenting advice things I think I've ever heard is that we really do have to role model the behaviors. Like, yeah, we really have to take deep inventory and be like, OK, if I tell them they can't leave things on the bottom of the stairs, I can't pass by things on the bottom of the stairs. You know what I mean? And if right. I do, I should tell them. And I should apologize. Like, and those are things that happen. And, you know, I hear different people are like, well, we're not on the same level. And you're right. We're not on the same level. There's a a level of respect that my kids should have for me as just being an adult and more experienced. I believe that. Um, But I do believe that there's, we can't just say the words and then not do it. Like, there's no way that the kids are going to, you know, go through with something if they aren't sure that we do it ourselves, you know what I mean? Like, Oh, yeah. that. what is it like? Listen to what I say. Not as I do whatever that right. is. Like. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, and we no. have to own it as parents, we have to right. own it, you know? So, and like you said, if we, make hard. Mistake, we apologize, it is hard. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I definitely but I agree. Think it's, it's like so worth the effort. I feel like we've like really focused on that, you know, for several years. And I feel like, wow, like it's so awesome to see, like, you know, even things like healthy eating is a big deal to me personally. And to watch how that's blossomed because they they watch me. They watch me, you know, pay attention to the things I eat in a healthy way, like, you know, whole foods and things like that. Um, oh, so yeah. it's cool to like listen to them, talk to their friend and be like, no, dude, try it. It's delicious, you know, and it's good for right. you. And it does, you know, it's neat. Yeah. They're listening. That's good, right? <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> and they're doing it. So that's that's a good thing. And it is. I, I think, you know, kids are watching us even when we think they aren't. You know, they're listening to our conversations even when we, they think they're not. Um, mm-hmm. And I think role modeling is a really great way to to, to teach them, honestly, um, and, and by doing it ourselves first. So I love that you do that. Um, let's switch gears a little bit because I want to talk to you a little bit about adoption and travel. Um mm-hmm. 
you have two adopted children. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I know you've shared your story before and, you know, um, you can go into as, as much depth as you'd like to, but I would love to have everyone listening, um, you know, just listen to what your experience has been um, with adoption, if in case they are thinking of, of going um, and adopting children as well. Sure. So we have three, actually, uh, adoption stories. Um, Shay was our first adoption um, process, and it was an international adoption through Ethiopia. Um, it was like a two-year process. It took a really long time, and we learned a lot because as educated as I thought I was, I really wasn't. I was super naive. Um, looking back, we thought Shay was about two years old when we adopted him um, after he came to the States and, you know, got proper nutrition. Several months passed, he was growing like inches and they, they did a bone density scan and he ended up being closer to like four and a half at the time of adoption. Oh, wow. So the trauma that he had experienced, he had some, um, a, a certain part of his life was lived in an orphanage setting. And I don't think I understood what trauma parenting really meant. Mm-hmm. Um, I also had thought that we were adopting a two-year-old versus, you know, four and a half years old. There was different complexities there. Um, but I would say his adoption process was incredibly difficult. Like one of the reasons I feel like our family is where it is today is because we went through something really difficult together. Um, mm-hmm. Two really difficult things, you know, losing Mike's mom and then Shay's adoption story. Um, it was really hard. When he came home, he had a really, really hard time transitioning. I had a hard time finding help. I think that there's still a lot to be done as far as, um, you know, therapy goes with things like adoption, attachment, and trauma. Sure. Um, he was diagnosed with a lot of things that I think ended up really being PTSD. Um, mm. When you look back and we were told a lot of things and not given a lot of hope where he was initially. And now like today, he's like this 15 year old, amazing athlete, like honorable student, like kindest kid, sweetest brother, like the kid lights up any room he walks into. But I mean, we went through a really awful time, like falling down in the shower, praying like hard Mm -hmm. time. Um, And I would say it was five years of a hard time. So you know, it was a lot to go through. So learning from that adoption process, and um, part of the reason I think, which is super complicated, and, and there's tons of ethics around it, like, if you want to place your child, if you're in a, an American family, and you want to place your child up for adoption, you can. But if you're an international family, and maybe um, you decide that you need to create an adoption plan for your child, one or both parents needs to be deceased. And I think, unfortunately, mm-hmm. what happens is I think in some of these international countries, the idea that their child could go to America or Europe or something like that might be appealing, might be like they might think that there's like a better life in that situation. And so there's a lot of falsification that happens. And I think all those gray areas make international adoption like a little bit more tricky to navigate and more so than like, I mean, we went with a huge agency that's renowned, like they're, they're known uh, for good ethics, but you know, even Shay's story, like his um, biological mom and father decided to falsify that his mom was deceased. And so Shay came home with a very confused story because we're trying to explain one thing to him and he knows another. And that, that I think was part of uh, the transition that was really rough. 
Um, we've worked it out now and we're able to have an open adoption with his family. Um, and I mean, you could go down the road and people have, and we've gotten <laughs> a lot of different articles. I know Today Show wrote about it before, but um, Bechet is happy with where things are now with his family and the open adoption. And his family's very happy um, that he's here and he's doing very well. But that said, when we went to look at adoption a second time and knowing all the information that we had through the experience we had, I hired a private investigator very early on. And I mm -hmm. always tell everybody to do it because it's like a hundred or two hundred dollars. Like it's it's nothing in what you are paying in agency fees when you go through an international adoption. And we were right. in the process of adopting another little girl from Ghana. And um in that process of hiring an investigator, we were able to find a biological maternal grandmother who was able to care for the child. And, you know, ideally, I think with kids and trauma and attachment, all these things and around adoption, adoption should be a last resort. It should be, um, you know, like biological family first. I think there's a lot to that. So I guess looking back, I would say that people really need to have an open mind and they also need to do a lot of research on their own and not just trust maybe the agencies that are there in place. Right. Because I just think there's a lot, there's just a lot to navigate. That's just great. Right. Um, Olivia's adoption process was a lot different. We adopted her at birth um, from the United States. It was a domestic adoption. Her family um, had other children and they, the mom had an IUD, wasn't trying to get pregnant, still accidentally did um, mm -hmm. because of the IUD being misplaced. She wanted to have an abortion, but chose adoption instead. And, um, and that process has led to like a wonderful open adoption between uh, her family and, and our family. And We've been able to maintain that contact, um, same that we have now with Shay's family, although Shay's obviously is a little bit more difficult with language barriers. But right. it's just, I would say adoption's so complex. It can be so beautiful. It's also completely heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, in many ways, for somebody to need to be in the place to be adopted, there's a huge tragedy that they've had to face. You know what I mean? Right. The loss of a biological family in any form is going to be a difficult thing for an individual. Sure. And I think that, you know, as an adoptive parent or prospective adoptive parent, you're excited. You're excited to like bring somebody into your family, you know, like it's like having a baby, like you're very excited about the process. And I think a lot can get lost in the fact that there's other, that there's other things at play here that are really hard and heavy. Right. Yeah. There is a lot to think about, you know, I even just listening to your stories and how different they were and, um, you know, just knowing other families that have, have adopted other children, um, you know, whether you go international adoption, domestic adoption, um, an open uh, adoption or, you know, is it a closed adoption? I'm not sure I'm yeah, saying that. Closed adoption, foster adoption. I mean, there's yeah. so many options. There's so many. So, I mean, from your perspective or, um, you know, any, any advice on where someone should get started and if they, how they would decide if they want to have a domestic or open adoption or, or maybe a closed or international adoption, what, where would they start? Where, what would they do to possibly do some research on maybe what agency to pick and which one's right for them? Yeah. I mean, I think that's a really tough choice because it, it's all going to depend on the family, like what age they think that they are capable of taking care of and really understanding. I think trauma is probably the biggest one because the older a child is, the more traumatic the experience is going to be. And I think they, 
you know, you really want to have yourself well-versed, I would say finding a local adoptive parent group and just having open conversations with those adoptive parents. Also, there's tons of like Facebook groups of, um, of adoptees, people that were adopted that are now adults that are talking about their experience and trying to help other prospective adoptive parents. And I would say communication and storytelling is where I think we thrive as individuals. So like getting yourself knee deep in all the information, talking to as many people as you can and trying to figure out what you think you are capable of taking care of, um, you know, because it's a lot. Um, and I just think that people just need to be honest and understand, you know, this is a commitment you're making to somebody and, and trauma is not easy. No, no, it is not. I know I've obviously worked with it firsthand, you know, with, with many mm-hmm. clients and, and whatnot. And, and it's, it's not easy at all. It's not easy for the person going through it, the, the person right. who's they traumatized, and it's not easy for the people around them. Let's say like yourself, who is being a parent to someone who has had, you know, trauma and siblings and, you know, friends. I mean, anyone who's, who's surrounded by that person, it can be very, very challenging. So, and, and like you said, um, it's, it's not, it's sometimes sad. I think that's the word you used, but it's, it's sad because you wish in all your heart that you could take that trauma away from them, especially when it's a child, you know, um, that you could just erase that part of their life and, you know, have that magic spell to just correct it, you know, and, and make it better. And, and and you can't, so you have to find ways to, to cope with it. And, And it's, it can be very difficult. So, um, well, I, I think, you know, your, your, um, stories, like I said, are, are very inspiring to others looking to to look into adoption themselves. Um, and I, I appreciate all the advice and just how, um, you know, open you are about it. And um, I think that, um, yeah, you just, you, you have some, some great advice for people out there who want to do it themselves. So. And I would say as much as I'm like making it a hard subject, just because I feel like I wish I would have known more heading into it, I could have, you know, maybe had more resources or gain better support. But I mean, the other side of that is what we have now, which is something I never imagined. And it's like this amazing relationship, you know, with two children that didn't come from my body, you know what I mean? That like, yeah, it's so, so special. Um, I can't even explain it. So it's like, there definitely is, you know, just a swing of, of pros and cons when it comes to adopting. Sure. No, I, I love that. Um, it just, it makes my heart happy to hear that, you know, um, because I do deal with a lot of trauma and, um, you know, unfortunate experiences that happen in, in children's lives. Kids don't come to see me therapeutically when things are right in their home. You right. know, they usually come to me when things aren't right in their home. So um, it can be very, very difficult. But when I do see a child thrive and I do see a child, um, you know, conquer, you know, the, the yes. trauma in their life. I, I it just, it, it makes my There's heart. There's nothing so better. Happy. No, no. It makes yeah, me like so it's, happy. It's worth every, like it's worth all those five years that were so hard. I mean, that's yeah. not what we have now is it like, no, it's just, you know, I would never change anything, but um, I just feel like other people, if you knew more going in, it would be helpful. 
Sure. And I think that's, you know, going for a lot of things, you know, yeah. um, you know, doing your research before anything you do, I, I think is, is good to know. I mean, just going into anything blindly, I feel like in life um, doesn't usually turn out. <laughs> I mean, nothing really that's... turns out sometimes the way you want them to, you know, and that's right. important thing to learn how to do with that. But, um, but I think just anytime we, we do something obviously as big as even as an adoption, um, yeah. you know, does need that, that proper research. And I, I love the idea of joining a Facebook group and um, learning from people like yourself, other stories and, and making an educated decision on, you know, you're, cause you're, you're essentially taking, you're, you're essentially taking in and being responsible for someone else's life, a child's life. Absolutely. So, and forever. Um, like that's a, that's a commitment forever, you know? Yes. So it's so a big one. It shouldn't be taken light, taken lightly. That's for sure. Of course. Yeah. Um, now, as we finish up, I do want to touch on travel since I, you know, I deem you a travel expert and I know you've traveled the world with your family. And, um, I, I mean, I can't even, I, I was trying to think of all the different places you've been and I couldn't even I couldn't even make a list because there's been so many. Um, so speaking of, of research um, when it comes to families looking to travel, um, mm-hmm. I would love any tips because I know you know traveling takes a lot of research too, knowing where you want to go, how much it's going to you know how much you're going to spend um, you know what places might be safe to travel to, especially now with these times but what right. tips do you have for families looking to travel on a budget? Because I know that usually comes up a lot when people are trying to travel to really great places, but especially with a family of six like yourself, how do you how do you travel on a budget and what tips do you have for that? Um, number one is is get in ta- get in charge of your like credit cards. Like financial literacy is everything and understanding obviously how to have a credit card is very important. Um, but having your credit cards work for you is a huge benefit. For example, we just literally booked a vacation today. I turned 40 later this month and we're going to Kauai for four days, first class airfare, four nights in a ocean bedroom suite, ocean view yeah, in Kauai. And we're not paying a dime. It's all on credit card miles. Wow. So we, you know, we figured out ways um, with a couple of different credit cards. We make sure that we just put everything we can on them and we pay them off every single month. Um, you know, that way you don't get yourself in trouble, obviously, with interest. Um, but we have really great credit scores and we're able to, you know, utilize that money that we're spending that we would otherwise spend cash or out of a bank account is earning us all these points. Um, and when you pay attention, you make sure that you get the right travel cards, which we uh, usually refer to the points guy. Um, he's got really great information about points and credit cards. And um, well, that's usually where we're getting our information. So that's who I would recommend following. Okay. But um, some of the credit cards that we have are, enable us to buy eight plane tickets, you know what I mean? Because we're able to do it on miles. That said, there's other like shortcut things. Um, traveling during shoulder season is obviously huge. That's the season right before or right after the main travel season. And when okay. you do that, you're looking at, you know, less airfare, cheaper stays, fewer crowds, which is great. Yeah. Um, but you still usually can enjoy the really great weather um, when you do that, just kind of, you know, on and off. And then tra- we like travel where the deals are. So we're not, um, you know, we're not always looking at like one specific destination. Sometimes we're like more open to like where we might find a deal. Um, and so we we have different things that we follow, you know, like secret flying, travel pirates, um, things like that, where you're able to find deals on, you know, a really awesome place in like Australia or whatever um, for a week. So we've done, that's how we did trips like Bali. Um, Part of our Dubai trip was that way. So it just depends. I think that, like you said, it's just uh, getting getting yourself, uh, your feet wet, not being like 
scared to travel, like just diving in, you know what I mean? And then starting to do it. And then knowing, obviously, to look up, um, you know, where you can look up all the information. There's different uh, travel advisories where you can go in and see where is safe and where is not safe to travel to at any given time, not just during, you know, COVID times, but that exists always. So you can see if a destination is going to be safe for your family. Um, There's tons of travel blogs like our own on the internet where you can find a lot of travel information um, and people sharing that information within different travel communities. So I think it's just like, don't be scared to do it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I think that travel has been a huge, like it, it has taught our families so much, um, all the kids, you know, whether it's like flexibility, because you're going to have days that just don't go as planned. Um, just like that's how life is, but learning to get through it together, learning to experience new cultures and having these experiences together, face fears together, you know, you're scared of heights and you're all cheering each other on to get through some zip line course, you know, those moments are really special. And I think that they are great for building bonds. But um, I guess your question was on budget. So I would recommend credit card miles, learning how to be, you know, really good about that. Um, and then just being open to new destinations because you might be able to go somewhere that's much more budget friendly um, that you maybe haven't considered. Yeah, I love that. Th- those are some great tips. And you answered my next question about what it means to travel the world with your family. I mean, obviously, there's so many pros, you know, to attachment and bonding and seeing the world together. And um, I, those are all, you know, amazing. I think, like you said, a lot of people are held back by by fear, maybe anxiety right. about especially traveling internationally, you know, right. uh, being on an airplane for 15 hours with their kids. Um you know, or going to a new country that may not speak the same language or the food might be, you know, if they have picky eaters at home, they might not want to take their kids because they're thinking, well, they're going to starve for two weeks because they won't eat that kind of food or whatever the case is. Right. You know, um, like you said, just kind of going in, you know, with with both feet after you do your research, of course, <laughs> and find right. the best deals, um, you know, but but, you know, getting you know, getting over that fear of what the plane ride will be like, or, you know, having to travel internationally. And would you have any additional tips for that? Or is that just something people just have to do? Well, I think you, it is something you have to do, but I do think that there's like, you know, there's places you can go where um, even though they speak a different language, let's say like Tokyo, it's really easy to go to Tokyo. Everything is in English everywhere. Like the signs are in English, same as Singapore. Um, So I feel like if you did your research and you found out countries you could travel to where the language wasn't going to be as big of a barrier um, initially, that's super helpful. But then also there's so many translating apps and stuff now. True. You're really going to be okay. You know what I mean? And I feel like it is part of it is just like breaking in the saddle. I don't know what any of these like. I'm not very good with things like that. But um, I know for us, it was like Ethiopia because we went through the adoption process and we had to go to Ethiopia because we had to bring our child home. That was a really good motivator. But once mm-hmm. we did it, once we did it, like completely just like the world was open and we were like, well, we could go everywhere. We could like do this trip. Um, I think our next big trip was like Costa Rica, which I would say Costa Rica is a little trickier. Um, some basic Spanish is super helpful. Okay. Um, that's why I was mentioning places like Tokyo. There's certain areas where um, English language is, is because I think of business travelers, it's very prevalent and that makes it a lot easier right, uh, to travel to those areas. Yeah, so, I think it's just dig in and go a yeah, little bit. Yeah, I need to. I, <laughs> I need to. I've actually read your blog. I, I, I love all your tips on Disney Alani. That's kind of a, a, I know that's Hawaii and it's, you know, right. 
um, you know, but I want to, I've never been and I've always wanted to go and it's super expensive. And so I've read your, your, your tips on how even just, you know, just to go to Disney Alani, um, you know, with the kids on, you know, that you can get a a big room. I think it's a villa that you had gotten in the past that comes with a kitchen and, um, you know, at a decent rate that you're not breaking. Well, yeah. We have an article, you save 50%, up to 50%, depending on what season you travel in on their DVC rentals, which is huge for families. So, I mean, there's ways to do Disney on a budget. Like, I think you can do anything on a budget. And if you don't have any money at all, like, don't let that prevent you from traveling. You can be a traveler in your own area. Like, you know what I mean? San Diego area alone is close enough to my backyard and we can still be kayaking in La Jolla with seals and leopard sharks and you know like there is stuff in your backyard if you like research your own area on TripAdvisor let's say especially to teach the kids how to travel if you just start doing little weekend adventures places that are maybe an hour away you know it might be way more budget friendly and you still get a very similar travel experience and it gets the kids used to it um That's no, there's true. lots you can do camping you know yeah, I mean that's I mean that's so true, and especially you know over these times of COVID, I think a lot of people have stopped um, doing as much uh, you know airplane travel, international travel, things like that, and have stayed closer to home, doing more road trips, camping, just weekenders, staycations, you know, all those things. You're still creating memories with your kids. Uh, you're Absolutely. still seeing the world. It's still that experiential type learning that you don't get by sitting at home, you know, watching it on television. You're actually out there, like you said. You can even zip line at Catalina, which I know is a hop, skip, and a jump for us. But, right. you know, go to Catalina for a weekend if you're in Southern California and you can do zip lining, you know, through the forest and, you know, all those things. And you're still right. creating, like a, like you said, those memories with your kids, learning about the world, um, even learning about different cultures that are in, in your backyard. So, yes, absolutely. Different foods. Go to a go to a restaurant um, with a type of food that you've never had before. You know, right. um, there's like Little Italy is in San Diego. Yeah. There's a Little Ethiopia in L.A., you know, by us in California. Exactly. Um, there's plenty. You just have to, I think, just dig in, just do your research, you know, hop on a computer. Yes. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm inspired. I'm going to do that. Okay. Last question. What is your favorite travel destination you've ever been to? Cause I know you've been to a lot. So where's, where's been one of your favorites? So I, I'm so excited because I've never been able to answer this question until, oh, really? this, trip, yeah, until this past summer. And 1000% my family would tell you Maldives. A thousand percent. Like that was mind blowing and most amazing, like bucket list like dream about it, put it on your thing, manifest it for yourself because (laughs) it's a destination that just will blow your mind. Yeah, it's it looked amazing. I mean, I I followed your trip, you know, because I was so excited mm-hmm. to see what the next day would bring, and it just looked absolutely incredible. And you have on your blog, you have um, a recap on that trip, or where we do can find more about yep. that? Okay, yeah, at globalmenchkins.com. and we've got all sorts of, you know, we've got the best tip, the trips we've taken for teenage years. We've got all the Disney tips on there. And then breakdowns of places like uh, Soniva in the Maldives, which is our absolute favorite hotel in the world. Well, it looked amazing. And um, I'm out of questions. I have more I probably could ask you, um, but that's all I wrote down for today because um, I just, um, I, I know you have so much more you can share. And I hope people, you know, um, who are listening, go to your website. They can find you at Global Munchkins on Instagram. You're on TikTok and you um, have just so much uh, inspiration to share um, with other families, um, more so obviously than travel. You know, um, I love your parenting tips and um, I hope everyone um, was inspired as much as I was from our, um, talk today. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for having me. 
Thank you for joining us today. I can't wait to have you back for more. Make sure to subscribe to the Parentologist podcast so you don't miss an episode and make sure to tell your friends. This podcast is not intended to be a replacement for therapy. If you or someone you know is in crisis, please call 911.